This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. This is Cork Today. Cork Today with Patricia Messenger on C103. Cork's greatest hits. C103. And a very good morning to you as we welcome you along to Thursday's edition of the programme. Now, Bernie is taking your calls this morning at 1850-333-103 and you can text or WhatsApp to 86 2103103 and in a couple of minutes I'm going to be speaking with a doctor who's going to give us some advice on the coronavirus because over the last few days when we've been featuring the coronavirus on the programme we have had a huge number of calls and texts in from people who are just really concerned about the coronavirus. We don't have a case of coronavirus in this uh, country. Uh, Please God, we won't have one, but your gut instinct will tell you the way it's spreading across Europe. Inevitably, we will get some cases, but hopefully whatever cases we get will be mild cases. People will recover from it and that we won't have, uh, you know, we won't have, like what's going on in Italy seems to be, and you know, in fairness to the Italians, They seem to be trying to do their best to contain it, but it's just not being contained. They're now, as of today, um, the latest from Italy, 322 cases with um, 11 deaths. And it just, they just don't seem to be able to uh, contain it. So I suppose people are worried. And yesterday and the day before, I noticed we were getting calls and texts in from people saying, you know, what are the symptoms? Are they, are they the powers that be, I, I don't know who people meant when they said they, are they keeping it hidden from us? Why aren't we being told the signs and the symptoms? What do we need to do? How can we protect ourselves uh, for example? And you know, are the scientists getting any closer to finding some kind of a vaccine for this uh, coronavirus? So what we decided to do was we said look, we'd get on to a doctor we'd ask a doctor to come on answer the questions that we've certainly been getting into this programme as I say just on this week but we're also going to open the phone lines. If you have a question for our doctor on coronavirus if there's a particular thing that you would like asked or checked or you want knowledge on or there's a lot of myths you know doing the rounds um, at the moment as well and can we can we dispel any of those myths I mean I know one of the ones and 
again, we, we, we mentioned it during the week, is to do with the the masks the and the pharmacies completely running out of masks. And then I couldn't believe Simon saying this morning he was inside in a city centre pharmacy yesterday. And I suppose the staff are so fed up of people coming to into the chemist saying, do you have any of those masks? Uh, that they literally had a sign up uh, saying, sorry, we don't have any face masks left. And they put the sign up, you know, on the counter, just to, I suppose to let the staff get on and deal with customers and that they, you know, wouldn't have to constantly start telling people what to do. And that Irish pharmacies, that's not just the one in Cork City. They're struggling all over the country to try to keep up with the demand for the protective face masks. And also antibacterial gel is another one that is running in short supply. People are stocking up on the antibacterial gel uh, as well. And uh, I know some pharmacies are doing their best to try to get them in and global manufacturers are working flat out to try to produce them. Even though I did read in one of the papers today that the global manufacturers are saying that any of the production of the masks are going to be ring-fenced for medical professionals and emergency services. So, as promised, we did invite a doctor and it is Dr Nick Flynn of the mycorkgp.ie at Crenna Medical Centre to join us just to try to answer as many questions as we've had coming into the programme. Good morning to you, Nick. Morning, uh, and Patricia. you're welcome. I suppose, firstly, uh, we've had no confirmed cases of coronavirus in Ireland so far. Do you believe, though, that that will change, that we will eventually have? I think it's almost inevitable, uh, Patricia, that we will have at least isolated cases. But I think it's important for, um, the, I suppose, members of the public and uh, as healthcare professionals that we provide kind of honest and open information to listeners and to patients we don't anticipate that there will be um, an outbreak or an endemic in the country. In fairness to the HSE, who are often criticised, they are well on top of this from a prevention point of view. So we're into kind of the mitigation stage and to, to try and prevent um, an outbreak in the country. And I think in that regard, uh, the decision yesterday to cancel the, uh, the rugby match is understandable, although frustrating probably for everybody who was looking forward to it. Uh, Northern Italy, where uh, I suppose the majority of rugby is played in Italy is currently um, an area where there is a significant outbreak and I think it would have been foolhardy to go ahead with that uh, and then to have cases in Ireland the following week and fortnight. Mm. I think we would all have been uh, very regretful if it hadn't been cancelled. Okay, let's start at the beginning then. What is the coronavirus? Coronavirus is, like like it says on the tin, it is a virus. Um, It is different to the flu virus, so it's a different strain of virus, but it has got some characteristics in common with the flu vaccine, principally how it's spread. It's spread through droplet spread, so coughs and sneezes. So if somebody coughs and sneezes in your direction, or if they cough and sneeze onto, say, a handrail, or if they cough into their hand and touch a door handle, well, then the virus will be on that surface. And then if another person comes along and touches that surface and then touches their face, their nose, their mouth, their eyes, um, transmission can occur in that way. Um, We've seen coronaviruses before, and we spoke a couple of weeks ago about the fact that we had the SARS virus in the early 2000s, with a uh, Middle Eastern respiratory virus, or the MERS virus in 2012. So coronaviruses are new. Uh, this virus is going to be known as COVID-19. So just in case there's any confusion for, for listeners when they're listening to radio commentary or reading about it uh, in the media, COVID-19 is the name that's been given to the current coronavirus outbreak. Okay, and what are the symptoms? Symptoms are pretty, as I say, pretty common with the, with, with the common cold and flu. So they're cough, 
shortness of breath, which is difficulty in breathing, and fever or high temperature, so sweating and a general malaise. So your symptoms would be very similar to symptoms that lots of patients will be having in Ireland over the coming weeks because we're still in the, I suppose, the winter-spring uh, season where we see lots of viral infections circulating in the community. The important thing for, um, I suppose, for, for listeners to, to, to remember is that they don't have a risk unless they've had a travel, they've travelled recently to uh, an area where there is an outbreak and those areas are increasing. We can maybe talk about them in a minute. So travel to an infected area or contact with a known case. So there are no known cases in Ireland, so you can't have had a contact with a known case. And therefore, if you haven't travelled to a risk area, even if you have flu-like symptoms of cough, shortness of breath, difficulty breathing or fever, you're not regarded as being at risk of coronavirus at the moment. OK, here's, here's a question in from a listener on the coronavirus. First, he's saying, is it, is it airborne? It is, it is an airborne virus. Um, I suppose in the fact that it's droplet spread... Yeah. Okay. So I think when people t- think about um, airborne viruses, they think maybe of the uh, there was an outbreak movie a number of years ago, and uh, I remember that, that the doctor was standing in his protective gear over a patient, and it dawns on him that a patient in another ward has um, had contracted the virus and. Why in airborne, sometimes people think that it, it can travel through the air, through air vents, and, and it miraculously arrive in a room where it hasn't been, a patient hasn't been in who has the virus. It's not airborne in that way. So it's, it's droplet spread. So a cough or a sneeze, which typically we regard as being capable of traveling a meter or maybe a little bit more, and then landing on a surface within that area. So it's droplet spread, not particularly airborne in that Okay, sense. It's not All hanging right. around the air. And, and the, the follow-on to, to that question is, do you have to be in contact with somebody who has traveled abroad to one of the affected areas, or do you have to be in contact with somebody who had the coronavirus in order to pick it up? The reason I'm asking is a member of our household has a compromised immune system due to a transplant uh, he, so he really would he really be at high risk we're off our heads with worry he works his work has him dealing with the public what precautions should we take um, again uh, we have no confirmed cases in Ireland at the moment so uh, that person even in a, a public facing uh, role doesn't really need to be overly concerned about coronavirus at the moment but the precautions are the precautions which we recommend for uh, I suppose all uh, patients this time of year it's regular hand washing well and often and hand washing is important hand washing isn't just running your your hands under the tap you, you get a, a, a soap or detergent and you create a ladder and you wash from your wrists to your fingertips including the web spaces between your hands and ideally you do that twice so hand washing is the most effective way at stopping the spread of viral infections at winter time. Uh, the next one would be cough and sneezing etiquette. So don't cough and sneeze if you have a viral, a viral infection yourself into you know, into a room or towards a person. Ideally, cough or sneeze into a disposable uh, handkerchief and then a tissue and throw it away. Wash your hands afterwards. If you have no tissue, cough or sneeze into the into your shoulder, into the corner of your shirt. It doesn't look the most pleasant, but it is very effective at stopping the the outward spread of those viral germs onto onto surfaces and towards other people. And then the final thing is that when you're out and about, and for that person now in particular, this would be uh, good advice, when he is uh, at work and and, and dealing with the public, and his hands obviously are maybe handing things that are handed to him, he's touching uh, surfaces touched by other people, that he avoids touching his eyes, nose and mouth with unwashed hands. That'd be very important. So wash your hands. Uh, The 
final thing is make sure he's had the flu vaccine. It doesn't prevent the coronavirus, very important. It doesn't prevent the coronavirus, but for two reasons. One, we don't want patients presenting doubly unwell because they've got flu and coronavirus infection, but also because if there is um, a coronavirus cases, even a, a small few, they're going to use significant hospital resources and we could really do without patients with, with flu, with vaccine preventable That flu. could be prevented yeah. with the vaccine, Turn, yeah. Turning up in the hospital. Okay, anti- as well. antibacterial hand gel, a number of people want to know, is that of any use? And, and I see in the papers today pharmacies are running out of it, so people are certainly stocking yeah, up on it. Uh, um, from my own point of view, yes. My, as far as I'm concerned, it is, you know, a, a disinfectant, alcohol gel. Um, uh, it, it, it's very, they're very convenient, they're very easy to use when you're travelling, you can put them in your pocket. Um, I I think the evidence is, is that actual hand washing is better, but of course that's not always possible. Where there's visible dirt on the hands, you should wash them obviously, but the, the alcohol gels are effective, yes. And actually talking about the pharmacies running out of hand gel, what do you make of the pharmacies running out of the protective face masks? Yep. And are they of any use? So the current, the current advice on the face masks is that if you have a patient who has coronavirus, that patient wearing a face mask will help prevent the spread. But for the rest of them ah. who don't have coronavirus, it actually won't uh, help, no you in any way. That'll help you. No, because in, in, like I mean, if you think about it, you're you're out and about, you've your face mask on, you open the door of the bus or whatever you do to get, or, or open the door in, in a restaurant in, in, in a public toilet, and then you, you put your hand up to your face mask, <laughs> it might actually increase the risk because you're fiddling with the face mask and you put your hand to your mouth to your, to your face more often. So. So I would say that the current advice from the WHO is that the face masks are helpful for patients who have been diagnosed with coronavirus to stop them spreading the virus, but they don't have a role at the moment in preventing uh, patients who don't have the virus from getting the virus. My listener says, what about mail from infected areas? Should we be concerned about packages no, coming can, in from China? Uh, again, um, uh, the, the current advice is that there's no evidence that it can be spread in that way. Uh, it's a very common question. Uh, so the Amazon shopping can continue. I'm sure everybody will be delighted to hear. Um, but, but we encourage people to shop local anyway. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, 100%. Now, yeah. a, um, a number of people asking, Nick, about a vaccine. Is there a vaccine against it? Are they any close to developing a vaccine no, against there, it? There, there, there is a vaccine in development and it's like, again, to be for the pharmaceutical companies like the new Gold Rush. Uh, so they're the, 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 the first company to market with a vaccine will do very well, but it's probably six to nine months away because obviously there's lots of due diligence needs to be done before vaccines are used uh, in the general population. Are you worried about the spread and the way it's spreading? I mean, I think we're 30 countries now with reported cases. Um, I think, to be fair, in Ireland we've got bigger fish to fry. I'd be more worried about the annual flu epidemic. I think it's important from a public health point of view that the public health and the department, uh, department of doctors and the, the, the department of health do their job in preventing um, virus, the, the virus getting into the country and once isolated cases are identified that healthcare professionals know how to how to deal with them. So we we, we can't say that we haven't been there. Are, there, there are very robust uh, protocols in place for dealing with sporadic cases or uh, potential cases. So I think genuinely for, 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 for patients, they, they shouldn't be worried. I think there will be cases and when there are cases, they will make headlines several inches wide across the, across the papers. But I, I would be 
surprised if we had a serious outbreak. I also think the time of year that we're dealing with, we're coming into March, it's probably four to six weeks of um, these kind of winter viruses left and we'll be into spring and things will start to improve. So I don't think that Ireland is going to be dealing with a significant uh, uh, outbreak of coronavirus, although there may be sporadic cases and I, and I think people shouldn't be alarmed or panicked. Obviously, the We're still learning about the virus. What we do know about it is that it's more contagious than other viruses have been in the past, so it passes from one person to the next more easily. We don't really know for sure things like incubation period, uh, infectivity, and and that they're they're staying two weeks just to be sure. And and we also don't really know the mortality rate, so they're postulating it might be 2 to 3%. I think myself it's likely to be less than that. I think that they've got... But but I think that's an important point as well, because because there is a kind of almost in some quarters a sense of panic about it. If, God forbid, you picked up coronavirus, not everybody dies from it. No, no, no. I mean, th- 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 like, I mean, okay, 2 to 3% mortality is significant, but I-, I think that is most likely overestimated. So if you think about it, there's around 3,000 reported deaths worldwide, worldwide from coronavirus at the moment. Um, now, each death, I would think, is likely to be diagnosed correctly, but there's only 81,000 diagnosed cases. I think there's likely to be, in fairness, I think intuitively people would agree there's likely to be many times more 80, than 81,000 people so lots of people will be at home with coronavirus in various different countries self-isolating who haven't been diagnosed so I think that the the, the likely uh, number of deaths is accurately um, reported and the likely number of cases is probably underestimated because they're going by diagnosed cases and there of course are many 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 more undiagnosed cases But a lot more people die from the flu every year Well in, in, in Ireland we have 150 deaths from the flu every year and uh, yeah. It's a significant burden on, on, on our on, on our healthcare uh, service. But again, just coming back to the coronavirus, just for people in general, for the majority of people, the coronavirus will be a self-limiting viral infection like any other. Yeah, OK. Breida Nakraha says uh, people with cancer, would they be more like, would they be more, yes. more at risk from coronavirus? So, so the, the patient groups the same as with, with, our, with our influenza infection patient groups that will be more vulnerable unfortunately are our elderly population our immune systems work less well the older we get and that's why we see more cancers and, and, and more infections in older people uh, so certainly somebody who has cancer and is undergoing cancer treatments be it chemotherapy or radiotherapy they, their immune systems are compromised and certainly they would be uh, more at risk but again the winter flu virus is of more risk in Ireland at the moment uh, and, and, and then again to encourage people to attend for their flu vaccine. And a lady in Carrigaline is taking in Italians or she takes in Italian students every year they're due to arrive in March. Would Dr Nick advise her not to take them should she postpone their trip? Um, that's a difficult question. Um, I, 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 personally I, I would say that if they don't fit in the the at-risk groups, so it depends on what area in Italy they're coming from. There are areas in Italy uh, and, and, and towns, particular towns and, and villages that are uh, high risk and I think myself that they're coming from a high risk area, I, I would consider postponing, but if they're coming from a lower risk area in Italy is a big country. If they're coming from a lower risk area and they're asymptomatic, um, I, I, I I'm not sure that I would, to be honest. Okay. All right. And uh, just before we let you go, and I'm, I'm conscious, I'm watching the clocks. I know you're going to a conference. Um, just leave coronavirus for a moment. The rubella case at the at the Apple plant. Does that concern you? It. it I suppose it 
it does in that um like rubella is a serious uh, infection uh, and we like i'm 25 years working as a, a doctor i've never seen a case of rubella um my, my, my main actually memory of rubella is as a child uh looking at advertisements about it on television um yeah you know and, and advising against it but just to remind and the woman yeah. shouting into the child yeah, the yeah. child was yeah. deaf yeah, yeah. Shouting into her. and just to, just to remind patients uh, our listeners because they like it kind of has I suppose eased out of public uh, consciousness that the rubella virus itself for most people again is a self-limiting illness but if you contract it during um, the, the early part of the pregnancy so 8 to 10 weeks it can cause damage in up to 90% of pregnancies so it's very, like it's very very dangerous for, for, for pregnant women and, and for their babies it causes things like deafness uh, um, cataracts blindness um, heart problems and it can cause intellectual disability so so it's a very serious illness again not to sensationalize it we don't have an outbreak we have one isolated case but the reason that you would be concerned about it is that we have a month uh, outbreak at the moment yeah, yeah. I, I'm currently diagnosing two to three at least patients with mumps every week you wow know? Um, and for for the community is vulnerable to mumps infection it's also vulnerable to rubella infection so um, we do have uh, I suppose uh quite a diverse population and we do have uh, lots of people who live in Ireland who come from uh, and contribute to society but who come from countries where they don't have vaccination programs and in those countries they do see rubella outbreaks every six to nine years you know so so it, it is important again I think the take home message is do not panic about an isolated rubella case but do ensure that you have your MMR vaccine and the HSE at the moment because of the mumps outbreak are offering a booster vaccine for all people between 10 and 30 years of age so if you're in doubt about your uh, measles mumps or rubella immunity if you contact your GP you'll be able to arrange an MMR booster Well done well done and a listener says well done to that doctor doctor knows best that's Dr Nick Flynn thank you for that and Nick we'll talk again God bless that's Dr Nick Flynn of mycorkgp.ie at the Grenna Medical Centre 1850 333 103 parades and celebrations will they be cancelled this year do you think well I did um, I have heard that there's kind of at the moment a kind of a major question mark still hanging over St Patrick's Day uh, festival particularly the big one in Dublin and they're saying that the organisers may have to curtail attendance by participants coming from the at-risk countries. And bear in mind that the list of at-risk countries has now been expanded. It now stands at China, Singapore, Hong Kong, South Korea, Iran and the four regions of Northern Italy. But it is expected that more countries will be added to that list. And if there are people coming from those countries to take part, like bands, marching bands, groups and obviously visitors uh, as well, it's looking like there could be a question mark. But as of yet, all St. Patrick's Day parades are going ahead as is. A listener says, Patricia, this virus is very serious. But, of course, this list, I feel, has been badly handled by our government. They should be demanding that countries who have the virus be responsible and they should stop people coming from those countries. Look what we did when we had infected cattle on our lands with the foot and mouth. And actually, I'll hopefully get to it later. I did a bit of research yesterday on the whole foot and mouth d- disease and when we were in the throes of that because I needed to be reminded of it because it was back in 2001, would you believe? We're nearly 20 years since the foot and mouth disease and so it was interesting to read up 
and to remind myself of how the, how we got a grip on it in this country and how we curtailed, curtailed it in such a way that there was only one case. That's all we ended up with was one case. And when you look just across the water at what happened in, in the United Kingdom, they hit, you know, huge, huge outbreaks of foot and mouth. But we managed the country, went almost into lockdown. And, you know, it was the late... Joe Walsh was Minister for Agriculture at the time and I, I was doing this programme and you know on a daily basis we'd be doing nearly an update on foot and mouth and what was off what was on where you could and couldn't go and what was cancelled and we had a host of people giving out saying that the government is over overreacting and then it was only I think when we got the first case which was in County Louth and then we had to wait the 30 days and when we didn't get another case in 30 days we were deemed foot and mouth free everyone then started saying God like the government really handled this well and Joe Walsh in particular as Minister for Agriculture was certainly hailed as a little bit of a hero at the time because it was handled and handled uh, very well. Uh, the listener who was asking about who's got a family member with a um, compromised immune system due to a transplant. You see, th- this is where the real worries, and I can understand that, or as somebody else was on about a cancer patient, anyone who's in a household with somebody who's got a compromised immune system, when you have a compromised immune system, you say, of course you're going to be over the top worried and making sure that you have all of the uh, advice. The listener was back on and said, thank you so much for that, for answering my question. What I've taken from listening to Dr Nick this morning is good hygiene, good hand hygiene, washing of hands, etc. And manners, no coughing or sneezing upon anyone else. Yeah, and if you get any kind of a cold or a cough or whatever, as watch how you dispose of your tissues afterwards as well is so important. A listener wants to know, was the virus manufactured in a pharmaceutical laboratory owned by Chinese and French companies in Wuhan? When you say the virus, are you saying was... I, I don't, the virus wasn't manufactured in a pharmaceutical laboratory. I'm wondering, are you talking about the vaccine? They're very close to develop, developing a fa- vaccine, but there's a number of different pharmaceutical companies are close to getting the vaccine and they will, uh, they will have hit gold. Whoever gets that vaccine out first will be the ones that will make a lot of money uh, out of it. So I'm not quite clear, sure what you mean, but when you say was the virus manufactured, we do know that the present theory as to where the virus came from, it's believed it originated from the sale of infected wild uh, animals in a street market in the Hubei province in China. I saw at the start some social media stuff on bats. They eat bats in uh, China and... It looked pretty disgusting, I have to say, to see the bat laid out on a plate. It just really looked awful. So I'm assuming that that bats are wild animals and they're selling and it was on street markets, which is very common in not just in in China, a lot of Asian countries that you have street markets and and they cook cook on the streets. So you just wonder about the hygiene in all of that when they're cooking on the on the streets like that. And if you have an infected animal, and that's where it's believed. But it, I mean, will, will we ever one hundred percent find out and point to that's exactly where the coronavirus came from? But that is the belief at the moment. Mary says, Patricia, I'm about to receive a parcel in the next few days from Zhenzhou City in China. What action should I take when I receive it? Well, according to Dr Nick, you've absolutely nothing to worry about. Again, when the coronavirus first started in China, people were worried about packages coming. Nothing at all uh, to worry about. You'll be absolutely fine. Uh, It cannot be transmitted uh, that way. And then a different Mary says, Patricia, with regard to people who are looking for the face masks, Virgin Media Ireland, the AM programme this morning featured the presenter of the I 
the Irish at the IPU, the Irish Pharmacy Union, is it, who showed how to make a homemade mask from strong quality kitchen roll and two elastic bands. But more importantly, he showed how to sanitise your hands correctly with gel. It's, it's well worth a look. That is the most important one because even Dr. Nick was saying, and I've read lots about this, that you really, unless you have the coronavirus and you're putting a mask on to stop your sneezes and coughs and droplets going everywhere, the mask is of no use to you at all. What's most important is the sanitising of your hands, cleaning your hands and if you have hand sanitising gel uh, as well. So certainly good advice on that programme uh, this morning. And Patricia, it is good that the coronavirus is being discussed. But as you pointed out, we will be in trouble if it comes to Ireland, apart from not having enough isolation facilities uh, in the country, has certainly not got enough uh, ventilators for the critically ill patients. And there's a doctor, uh, I read this in the Times this morning um, from Paul Cullum, their health editor. He spoke to a Michael O'Dwyer, who's the head to head of the Department of uh, uh, Anesthesia and Critical Care at St Vincent's Hospital in Dublin. It's one of our largest hospitals in Dublin. And this doctor said there is no capacity in the main Dublin hospitals to cater for extra patients requiring intensive care. Dr Michael O'Dwyer says it is because repeated calls by doctors in recent years for extra ICU beds has been met, he said, by a head-in-the-sand response from the HSE. He said with less than half the number of intensive care beds in place as are needed, the health service lacks the surge capacity required if, God forbid, there was an outbreak of coronavirus and there was a rise in the demand for people to go into uh, ICU. So in that one hospital, St Vincent's Hospital in Dublin, uh, he says we run at 110% capacity. He said there's no space to accommodate an overflow of severely ill coronavirus patients. He said I haven't had a free bed since Christmas and on most days I'm running too over capacity. So there's no way these beds will be free if the virus comes here and that's that it would be absolutely I'm very worried on that particular score and there's one final one from Michael Patricia hi I'm listening to all the panic here about the coronavirus if it does hit us in any shape or form our hospitals will not be under any circumstances able to handle it yes in small numbers but should it get serious then hotels hostels army barracks would have to be taken over and set up as emergency units next problem of course would be staffing let's pray and hope it will not come to that it would also have catastrophic monetary consequences on the country who would want to be in government with that looming together with Brexit etc. China really do not have a number on their actual casualties. It's not that they're not telling us the truth. They simply do not know. Remember the size of their population. The population of China is creeping very close to 2 billion says uh, Michael. So there's no way that they could know for sure how many people actually have the coronavirus. And even Dr Nick touched on that when you look at the worldwide cases because he says that worldwide case is they're only the reported cases. There will be a number of people and as we speak there will be a number of people who have coronavirus but they're self-isolating at home. And that's what we've been encouraged to do if we were to get an outbreak here for people to self-isolate at home because, I mean, the fact that it's a virus, you can't take an antibiotic for it. It has to run through your system and it's only a very small amount will end up needing hospital care, will end up needing that intensive care that we're speaking about. But if we had a major outbreak of it, the worry would be that those with the compromised immune systems... 
would need to end up in ICU. 1850 333 103. Record today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 1850 333 103. And we will be looking for another qualifier, by the way, for our Billy Joel competition. A chance for you to win a weekend away in the Big Apple to go see Billy Joel, Madison Square Gardens on the 2nd of May for turn flights, three nights accommodation in New York, VIP tickets to the big concert. There's also a three-course dinner and drinks at a New York restaurant and skip the line admission to the Empire State Building. It's a wonderful, wonderful competition. Some stage on the programme, Billy Joel song, you need to text Billy along with your name and address to 0862103103 and we do it by text or uh, WhatsApp. So some stage today, uh, Billy Joel uh, song. OK, uh, still getting a lot of commentary in on the coronavirus. Tim in y'all, re-COVID-19 and that's the correct title for the coronavirus. We... Isn't it time that we started taking precautions as in hand sanitizers in all public places, in restaurants, in pubs, at ATM machines like the banks, as we did during the foot and mouth diseases, Tim, in y'all. And I mentioned that I took, thank you for that, uh, Tim. Well, I, well, I suppose if we, see, because we, we don't have anyone in the country who has been confirmed with COVID-19, with the coronavirus. I suppose if we got to the stage where we did have cases, would we have to step it up to that? Or would or would you agree with Tim that rather than wait until we get cases in this, in this country, start putting the precautions in place now? But if you look back to 2001, when we had the foot and mouth uh, disease, when there was outbreaks in Northern Ireland and people, wasn't it in Armagh, people absolutely could not believe that it had, it had reached uh, our shores. And then there was a big containment to sort of keep it in the north and don't let it come uh, south. So at the time there was guard the checkpoints put at every road leading into Northern Ireland during the during the outbreak in the north and elsewhere in the United Kingdom. And then there was huge restrictions put in place. For example, all horse and greyhound racing was banned in this uh, country. And we had a thing called Operation Ring Fence. That was when we had the first case of foot and mouth confirmed down the south. And it was a positive case in County Louth. And it was the minister, I, I mentioned at the time, the Agriculture Minister, Joe Walsh, had to make the announcement in the Dáil. And I think the whole country held their breath. We couldn't believe that it had arrived. So that was on the 22nd of March. Then Operation Ring Fence was put in place and it was established to contain the spread. Public playgrounds, football pitches and parks were all off limits. Forests were closed to the public. At one point, would you believe, there was even a discussion about whether or not to stop mass and should mass be banned for the duration of what was almost seen as an emergency. Now, obviously, they didn't. And when we're talking about the Ireland-Italy rugby match being cancelled because of the coronavirus, three of Ireland's Six Nations games were postponed back in 2001 in February and in March. And actually, the final game of the tournament actually wasn't played until October that year. And that was when the Ireland captain Keith Wood scored a try to stop England winning a grand slam, if you want the actual result of that particular match. But troops were posted in Dublin port. There were severe travel restrictions put in place 
uh, particularly around the area of the outbreak in County Louth and all of us will remember this there was disinfectant mats put in place in every conceivable entrance right around the country and that's what we did to stop the spread of the foot and mouth uh, foot and mouth back in 2001 and we did and we managed and it didn't go any further past that one case in County County Louth and then it was following the expiry of the incubation period of 30 days from the only case of foot and mouth then with the EU declared uh, the country uh, free of foot and mouth and that uh, that happened on the 19th of April of that particular year we were deemed to be foot and mouth uh, free uh, but I don't know whether I don't, I'm not saying that we need to go back and some people are saying that that's what we need to do in this country that if coronavirus arrives do we need to look and learn we you know we, we, we certainly did it right when it came to foot and mouth in 2001 could we do something similar again that's if it's only if uh, coronavirus arrived on our uh, shores and even though we got that all clear at the end of April the national ploughing championships were called off in September after that and that was due to the continued positive cases in the United Kingdom and the threat that would be opposed by attracting visitors from the UK to an agricultural event over here. So it was decided at that point of time it was just literally uh, too risky uh, to do it. Uh, 1850-333-103, our lines are open. Can I say thank you to Michael O'Riordan in Bantry for sending a lovely postcard in this morning. It's a beautiful postcard of the Healy Pass on the Bearer Peninsula and it's just absolutely great gorgeous. Thank you for that. Saying kind words about the programme and in particular about Peter Dowdle who does our gardening slot which is always one of our uh, popular slots every week on the programme. Good to have you along uh, Michael and long may you continue listening to us here at C103. Okay I need to take a break. I have news at 11 on the way. Uh, Coming up we're going to hear about councillors voting against the proposed wind farm that's been spoken about for the Bottle Hill the landfill dump that never went uh, ahead. The white elephant that is the landfill uh, dump was at 48 million that it cost the council and even though God knows I remember at the time in the lead up to that people were saying we would never need a super dump of that size but does anyone listen? No. 48 million later there it is lying idle uh, and there's a proposal for a wind farm but obviously local people certainly not in favour of this so we'll discuss that uh, in the next hour on the programme and I'll catch up with a lot of your calls and comments uh, coming in as well all afternoons at 11. And thank you to a listener who was asking had I seen today's Mallow Star Vale Star newspaper uh, it's out in the shops today uh, because Marsha, my daughter, there's a photograph in it on page 19 and actually it's a wonderful collection of photographs of a charity fashion show that we put on at the time in what was then the the Mallow Park Hotel which was a fantastic little hotel and we were doing we did a fundraiser to cover the cost of bringing the children in from Belarus under the Chernobyl Children's Project at the time we used to do various fundraising events and we did this fashion show and there was a section where, where children uh, took part and um, Stephen Murphy from the Mallow Star was there on the night and took fantastic photographs and you know the way in the Vale Star they do a look back you know, they'll take a selection of photographs and it's, it's always great to look back at old photographs. So it was in today's paper, it's, it happened 15 years ago in Mallow and it was the Chernobyl Fashion Show in the Mallow Park Hotel and it's young models at the fashion show in 2005 at the Mallow Park Hotel in aid of the Chernobyl Children's Project and there, um, the very bottom photograph is Marsha along with uh, Louise Attridge. Obviously we couldn't let her out on stage on her own 
Uh, so Louise walked her out and we had a fantastic night and Marcia absolutely loved it. She got a big cheer and she really picked up on the vibe. She didn't have a clue what was going on, but she really picked up on the vibe and the excitement of the night and lovely photographs of all those other, what were little children at the time and 15 years on are all now uh, young adults um, themselves. So thank you. It's, it's a gorgeous, gorgeous photograph. And actually, when we're talking about rubella, I've been, because that's the one thing with, when we're talking with Dr. Nick about this case of rubella that has broken out in, it's one case in the apple plant. Now the apple plant obviously employs uh, thousands of people at the Holly Hill uh, campus and they apple reacted, you know, as a good employer would do and they immediately sent out an email to all the staff uh, saying that the HSE had been notified that there was a case of rubella at the uh, facility and of course the big worry would be for any apple staff member who uh, is currently pregnant at the moment because rubella in itself is for many I mean I certainly remember as a child I had rubella I think I was 24 hours with the spots and then it was gone I don't remember being particularly sick uh, or anything like that so in itself it isn't you know it isn't a bad when somebody gets a case of rubella they're not you know extremely sick and there's any danger that they end up in the hospital or anything like that but it's the effect that if you come in contact with somebody who is pregnant who hasn't had uh, rubella and one of the main things that can happen to the unborn child is deaf blindness and I would note through Marsha I go to the Anne Sullivan Foundation in Dublin which is for uh, deaf blind and there are a group of I suppose maybe 10-15 residents uh, living up in the Anne Sullivan Foundation who would be men and women in their now probably in their 40s and 50s and they were they're all deaf blind uh, and many of them with very severe intellectual disabilities as well but they were the last of the rubella children in Ireland because obviously when Marcia came to live with us and the fact that she had a deaf blind Diagnosis: We she was queried, was she Rubella? Now we can never for sure say that she was or wasn't Rubella, but it's looking like she wasn't because there would be other pointers that would indicate if she was a Rubella case. But because of that, I have a great awareness of Rubella, and it frightened me. I have to say, when I heard about the Rubella case confirmed at the Apple Campus, because we haven't had a Rubella case in Ireland, I think, in eleven years. And even to hear Doctor Nick, when I asked Doctor Nick about it, to even hear him say he's twenty-five years as a GP and he's never come across a case of rubella because of MMR we really have a handle on rubella and as I say for the child themselves or an adult getting rubella they're going to be okay but God to think that you could come in contact with somebody in the early stages of a pregnancy who wouldn't be aware and you probably wouldn't even be aware that you had a rubella because there's an incubation period of up to 17 days when it comes to rubella and who would want that on your conscience that you know that uh, somebody's baby then is born with you know Life, life-changing um, uh, challenges uh, that will remain with them for the re- for the rest of their lives. So I'm very, very conscious of rubella because somebody says Patricia on the whole thing with rubella uh, and regarding the huge increase of measles mumps and now this potential outbreak of rubella. This listener says, are all asylum seekers and immigrants vaccinated or what's the protocol on this uh, thanking you? We see we don't have compulsory vaccinations in this country. That's why there's a big push. I mean, Dr. Nick says, and we've mentioned mumps on the programme before, there has been a big outbreak of mumps, particularly amongst young college students, that sort of age group, because MMR came out and it was fantastic and people went along and got their vaccines. But then there every now and again there's worries and concerns and let's be honest there's downright lies put out in some cases about vaccine and that frightens people and then people stop and think oh no I'm not going to get it I'm not going to take any risk you know my beloved child I'm not going to do it and all of that and then the danger is that we don't 
we don't have uh, enough people vaccinated and that's when you get cases of measles, mumps and rubella and that's why there's a big push to try to get some try to get people who didn't have uh, MMR as a child for whatever reason to make sure you get it now So, but we don't have compulsory so you can't point the finger of blame and say oh that's because we've got immigrants and asylum seekers coming to this country they come from countries where they don't have vaccinations now many of them have, maybe do come from countries that they don't that they're not offered the vaccination but they can come here and they can get the vaccination but it's there are many Irish people who haven't had the MMR who are going around and are getting measles, mumps uh, are, are in this case rubella. I don't know where the, the person who has rubella, I, do, I don't know if they're originally from Cork, if they're originally from Ireland, I don't know. And it doesn't really matter because they say we don't have compulsory vaccinations and most people wouldn't want us to have compulsory uh, vaccinations. But just one, I just want to touch on that while I'm on rubella. But we've mentioned rubella. I'm very aware of how dangerous rubella uh, can be. OK, let me go back to the coronavirus, please. Hi Patricia, the measures you have spoken of, this is the measures to put in this was Tim, it was Tim was the one who said with the COVID-19, isn't it time we started taking precautions, hand sanitizers in all public places, in restaurants, in pubs anywhere where people gather uh, should we not have the precautions in place and actually a number of people including Noreen in Cork says I agree 100% with Tim from you all about placing disinfectants in public places to prevent to prevent the spread of coronavirus it is better than a cure and someone else says that those measures that Tim speaks of they should be put in place and I feel they should be in place now don't wait until we have a reported case I believe it is inevitable that it will come here and surely preventative action should be considered and we should be doing it now and Barry says, Patricia, just like to make a comment on the coronavirus and the foot and mouth that you spoke about in the last uh, hour and linking the two. Uh, When foot and mouth came to Ireland, Ireland managed to contain the disease and we were able to stop it coming into the Republic bar that one case in Louth. Why? That was because of Joe Walsh, Minister for Agriculture at the time. Now he was regarded as ruthless but very effective at the time. He blocked the border, he stopped matches, he closed down marts, he made the public aware of of how to disinfect and keep themselves and animals safe. The government should take a leaf out of Joe Walsh's book today to stop this coronavirus. He was one of the last great public representatives this country had. Kind regards, says Barry. And we will, well, those of us that can remember back to it, as I say now, nearly 20 years ago. Will you ever forget the foot... It was. We must have had the cleanest shoes in the world. There was um, disinfectant mats placed at every conceivable entrance all over the country. I mean, I certainly remember we weren't in this studio. We were in the older studios just across from here and we had to disinfectant mat. And every single morning you went in and you wiped your feet on the disinfectant mat. I remember going to supermarkets and you wiped your feet on the way in. So we certainly had very, very clean shoes. So people are saying, you know, do we need to, take lessons that we learned and we did learn valuable lessons during the foot and mouth and while in a way foot and mouth was done to protect the agriculture industry uh, you know, and, it, and it, it didn't in any way have a direct threat to human uh, health the impact obviously from coronavirus anything that we can do to stop human lives being lost uh, obviously yes yeah, yes 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 and yes to everybody saying if we can put anything in place we certainly need to do it Hi Patricia what about when a person gets on and off a bus and holds on to the rail 
somebody before it sneezed, for example, somebody had coughed, are they passing a virus uh, on? Are at mass when you're asked to shake hands? I was waiting for this to come up. When was somebody going to start mentioning the shaking uh, hands at mass? I don't know. Uh, maybe this weekend it will start. Maybe they'll stop doing the sign of uh, peace again. Maybe some of the parishes, maybe some of the diocese are saying, we'll wait until we have an outbreak, wait until we have confirmed phase cases of uh, coronavirus. But I know we've there was flu. I don't know if it's as bad now. Certainly coming up to Christmas, the flu was very bad. And some of the parishes were taking on that advice of to stop people shaking hands because, yes, that kind of contact is a one way of spreading it. Do we now need to do that blanket ban on the sign of peace until we know that the whole threat of the coronavirus uh, is uh, gone. Uh, someone else by WhatsApp saying, Patricia, on the coronavirus, what about a person with respiratory problems? Would They, they would certainly be in the at-risk uh, group. For the general population, if God forbid you got coronavirus, you'll be fine, you'll be very unwell, but you'll survive it and you should be fine. But it's people in the at-risk group, somebody with respiratory issues, yeah, would, would really would need to be trying to protect themselves in the hope that they wouldn't uh, pick it up. And a Douglas sister says, Patricia, I think the advantage of wearing the mask is actually to stop you touching your mouth and your nose with your hands. So it's to stop you uh, picking it up. Um, Yeah, I accept that. But as Dr. Nick says, the main advantage of the mask is for somebody who had the coronavirus. It would stop them anything coming out of of their mouth. I think the danger with wearing masks uh, for the general population is when you're taking off the mask. Because if you've been in contact, God forbid, you were somewhere where there was somebody with coronavirus and the it was droplets and you somehow picked it up and it got on the mask or got it got on your as you're taking the mask off it can then get onto your hands do you know what I mean so, they, so they, they come with their own dangers as well I think is what people are saying and I think what the advice is that you know they're not going to give you the protection I think because I think people what can happen with the masks is people can stupidly believe once I'm wearing the mask I'm, I'm, and I'm in an area, I'm not going to get it. And that's not correct because we know that people who've been in the areas where there are outbreaks of coronavirus and they've done everything like that, they've worn the masks themselves and they've still picked it up. So it's, it's not going to 100% uh, protect you. And then Pat has contacted us. Now, this is Pat's view, but I would be interested to see do others agree or disagree with Pat? And Pat has a right to his view. So I, I, I'll, I'll bring it to you. And this is to do with why we have coronavirus at the moment. Morning, Patricia. It's time a spade was called a spade. Ordinary people like myself have been stopped from having an opinion for fear of upsetting certain people. Now look at the state of the world. How long did people think that God was going to take our way of living before stopping us? Well, it's happened now. Maybe people will sit up and listen signed Pat so what I take from that Pat is saying that the coronavirus is God's way of saying to the world you're you're not behaving properly you're doing wrong you're not being good religious people you know you're sinning too much and this is God's way of getting back at the world that's Pat's view uh, and it's well, and and it is your view, uh, Pat. I can't say that I agree with you because my instant reaction would be, well, if it's coronavirus, how come the flu virus kills more people every year? And it looks like the flu virus will again kill more people this year than the coronavirus ever will. I mean, if that's the case, is 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 the God sending the flu virus every year uh, to kill people off and to make people stop and think? But um, and that's just my view versus your view. But it but it. I'm saddened to think that you feel 
you've been stopped from having your opinion for, for fear of upsetting anyone. I mean, you're obviously very, you're deeply religious, you're deeply spiritual and you believe in a God and you believe in a God that would retaliate against the world and would punish the world for things going wrong. But that's your view and it's your opinion and you have a right to express that opinion. So just that just saddened me that you, you feel that you, you can't say it. But listen, I'm only I'm only too happy to share your comment with others and to see and to see are there others out there who agree with Pat and that that is the way it is and that people genuinely do feel that this is God saying to the world, wake up, you need to start behaving, you need to stop sinning and I'm sending, you know, a plague on all your houses sort of thing. Um in order to get you to, to change your ways. 1850-333-103. And another listener who is looking for somebody to change their ways is... There's no name on this. But let me just read you this because this is uh, um, a lengthy text. Just let me mark that so that I can read it. Here we go. OK. Hi, Patricia. I'm reading the Southern Star newspaper and also looking at social media in the last 24 hours. And as somebody who voted for Holly Kearns in the West Cork in the general election, I'm shocked and horrified about her comments on the Pope and basically calling every Catholic a paedophile. I'm not a paedophile just because I'm a woman and I'm a Catholic and I do hope C103 will bring her onto the radio today to apologise to us who voted for her. She was not 16 years of age when she made the comments. She was 23 years of age and has to be accountable for her real feelings towards the Catholic Church. Now, I did deal with this on the programme yesterday or the day before when I mentioned Holly Carnes and I mentioned these confident, these controversial remarks, she has come out and said that she regrets any offence caused. She took down the comments from her Twitter feed. She said she's really sorry for any offence caused and she defended it by saying she was younger and that they weren't the best advised tweets at the uh, time. Now, um, I, I will, if, if, if that's what listeners want, to actually hear Holly Kearns on the programme apologising. Absolutely, the airwaves are available to Holly. We will reach out to her. The reason that I didn't earlier on in the week was that when I was off last, the week before last, when was I off sick with the flu? Uh, John Paul tells me, that was just after the election, that they and Bernie was producing at the time, that they twice had arranged for Holly Kearns to join us on the programme. And I'm assuming at the time he was struck about the fact that she had been elected and getting her seat in that. And we were twice let down by Holly Kearns. It wasn't that she said, I can't do it. It was she was booked in for an interview and then wasn't there. So for that reason, and when that happens to us, because it can leave a great big gaping hole in the programme, if you're ready to go live with something and you ring the person and they're not there, it's just really, really frustrating. So for that reason, I didn't put a call through to Holly Kearns. But, you know, but we will. Absolutely. If you want to hear her, as I say, she has apologised. I've seen it in print on the papers that she's apologised. But if you're looking for her to, to hear her say it, yeah, and you listen. If Holly wants to join us, we'd be only too glad to facilitate her. 1850-333-103. Bernie, the aforementioned. Taking your calls, text WhatsApp 0862-103-103. C103 Jobs. AMAC, I hope I'm pronouncing that right. There are farm supplies in Middleton. They're looking for a yard person slash forklift driver. Office administrator is wanted for Bohabui. Good computer skills and experience with Microsoft Office, please. Deer Park Motors in Charleville. They're looking for a service manager with previous experience within a workshop environment. And a part-time bookkeeper is required for a minimum of three months 
It's to work at Welsh Engineering Supplies in Mallow. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Cork Today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 1850 333 103. Now, plans to build a 22-turbine wind farm on the Cork County Council site at Bottle Hill suffered a setback this week when councillors voted against the proposal at the meeting. Um, a proposal to vote against the development was made by Fianna Fáil councillor William O'Leary, who joins me on the programme. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Good morning to you, William. Good morning, And and you're you're welcome. Now, 44 votes to three, I think, with six abstentions. Um, That's quite a strong vote against. What are the main concerns of the councillors about Um, this proposal? I suppose, Patricia, it would be important to give you a bit of context. Um, I know from my own point of view and from that of my colleagues, there's none of us on Cork County Council who have an anti-green agenda. However, we have for some time been very concerned about this particular development, Patricia, um, in terms of the, pro- the planned proximity of some of these windmills to where people live um, in areas such as uh, Morn Abbey, Grenade, Glimville, Killavolan, Carrignavere. It's a, it's, a, it's a massive project, Patricia. Um, the site in question in Battle Hill is where four of those planned windmills were uh, planned to be developed there, um, and they, we, it was a right away way leave and the lease of those lands, which the myself and my colleagues rejected on Monday last. Yeah, and the fact that it's 22, it doesn't sound like much, but these are absolutely massive wind turbines. Uh, they're, they are 169 metres in height, which is two, size, two, uh, two sizes, uh, it's twice the size of County Hall. Wow. Uh, just to give you a bit of perspective. Um I mean, we have been working with the NVTA, which is the Nagel View Turbine Awareness Group. Uh, yeah. Patricia, they're, they're not an anti-environmentalist group. They're not. They're not a protest group. They're an awareness group uh, with members from the communities of Carrigneveer, Mornabi, Grenade, Glimville, um, who are petrified and living in fear with the thought of some of these windmills being um, in close proximity to where they live. Um, and just just to give you a bit of further context, I mean. Over the last six years, we have begged 
for the new guidelines and uh, for the new guidelines and planning conditions for windmills to be published. We've been waiting some time for them because the previous guidelines are old; they're outdated. And, uh, and the technology has changed so much, and the, the, and the size yeah. of those wind yeah. turbines have yeah. changed. Yeah. yeah, and we've been waiting for them to be published. We started draft proposals recently, and yeah. we're awaiting. It, it's currently at public consul- consultation stage, and we are awaiting for the final draft to be made. Public pu- public submissions closed last week, and where, where we where we are concerned, Patricia, is we we've seen the plans for this particular development um, around the areas I've mentioned, and. Uh, it's not satisfactory. I mean, we're looking for um, a distance of 10 times the tip height away from where people are living, which is, if the if the height is 169 metres high, we're looking for the windmills to be 1.69 kilometres or further away from where from where people are living or residing. Um, we're all aware, Patricia, of the health effects these these. Well, well, only only yeah. this week it was highlighted yeah. in the the courts when that the young family, the the children from Dunamore, yes. and they ended up getting a compensation of two hundred and twenty five thousand uh, euro uh, because they had suffered illness due to noise yeah. vibrations, the shadow mm. a flicker, and that was from a ten turbine wind farm, yes. not and even a twenty two turbine. Absolutely, Patricia, and this is this this is not the first case of a similar nature to what you saw during the week from the Kelleher family from Dunamore. There's plenty of these cases going around that, that, that have happened up through, through up around the Midlands, the west of Ireland, where they're actually being settled out of court and yeah. we don't hear about them. And, so they're not making uh, headlines. And, and deve- yeah, they're not making headlines and developers are actually accepting liability in a lot of these cases, but we don't hear about them because they've been settled outside of court. I mean, it, with this particular development, the NVTA, public representatives, we have begged the developers to engage with us, to sit down, come around the table and engage with us. And to this day, they haven't. I mean, they will say they have, that they have been um, knocking on doors and engaging with people. Throwing leaflets in, in doors doesn't, in my book, constitute engagement, uh, Patricia. Mm. So, like, like, we're willing to engage. We've begged them to engage. And to date, unfortunately, that hasn't happened. And I can tell you, many of these big developers who want to push through these developments on rural Ireland, they're not. They, 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 to call it to call it straight, Patricia. They don't have any great love for the environment. They, they, they're only interested in one thing: getting these pushed through and turning well, them, turning them into a profitable. It's a business. I mean, it, it, it is a business. It, it is. And 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 I suppose as well from the council's point of view, I'm I'm assuming the executive are looking at this from a business point of view. In that, if Brookfield project yeah. went ahead, that would generate a lot of revenue, wouldn't it, for the council? Well, it possibly would, Patricia, but I'm not elected to uh, to make revenue for any council. I'm elected to stand by the people and take their concerns into view, and that's what I, I have been trying to do and will continue to do. Do you know? Um, we have to. I mean, they're using envi- using rural Ireland as an environmental guinea pig is, is not the way forward. We know we have to create. Uh, new new ways of producing electricity. Yes, wind is one of these, but there's so many other alternatives to where you can put these windmills. They can be placed offshore, for example, mm. uh, Patricia. But uh, look, it's the lack of engagement which is which has been disappointing, and yeah. with with the developers, and it's the fear that this has caused for people in the areas that I mentioned. That they, because they, there was a protest outside the council meeting, wasn't there? There was, and like the NVTA have been an outstanding group. They've been standing up for their communities, and we had them up with us on on Monday, and it was great to have them there. And like I said, they're they're like like I said, I wouldn't class them as, as a protest group. They're, they're an awareness group. With the word awareness being the operative word. 
Patricia, and they were there Monday. And like I said, this has been this has caused this has been an awful taken an awful toll and stress on many of these individuals over the last twelve to eighteen months. You know, with the thought of this coming down the line. Patricia, and all okay. the best for so, so what the councillors voted against wasn't the actual project itself, because no. that's, that's with on board Panola, isn't it? Yeah, well, it's, it's, it's a project that, that is deemed to have strategic importance. So when it's been when when a project is given that status, it does, it bypasses the county council in terms of in terms of from a planning perspective, and it goes yeah. straight to the board on board Panola. What 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 we were voting on, Patricia, was yeah on the plan. Landfill site in Battle Hill. It was the wish of the developer to, to place four of these large windmills in there. Um, they were looking for a lease of lands within the Battle Hill site, which is county council owned, and they were looking for a way lease into that. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and it would take up about twenty five percent. Did I read yeah. that somewhere? Twenty five percent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, about twenty five percent. Patricia. Yeah, and uh, and uh, and seeing as we haven't spoken about Battle Hill in, in quite some time, any other plans? For the site, um, not, nothing, nothing, nothing in the pipeline. As far as I'm aware, of Patricia, it is. It has been a complete waste of taxpayers' money. Do you know? Um, but like I said, I mean, they, there was a planned uh, dump to be placed in there. There, no, no, no. The, we were, the, the windmills were to go in there. Like I mean, <sighs> these projects, like they're not people centred. They're money centred and they're they're going to have a, a detrimental impact on rural areas, you know. And battle the Battle Hill site I, I can't tell you what the answer is to it, Patricia, but in terms of putting in putting in projects of this magnitude which are centred around money and not around people is not the way to develop this site. Uh, it certainly would that. have just a massive, massive impact mm. on the rural mm. communities in the vicinity of uh, Bottle Hill. Yeah. Uh, OK, and obviously with the way the vote uh, went, you know, un- almost unanimous support. All the councillors are very much behind the residents on this one. Well, and I'm grateful that they are. I mean, I mean, the key concern here is that we, we, we raised a number of concerns about this development at municipal level. We didn't think they were answered. Um, and they are standing with the people, Patricia, and rightly so, because, I mean, if you spoke to any of these people who who would be in close proximity to any one of these 10, 22 windmills, it's a constant fear. I mean, like, when, and when they are seeing stories of what we saw with the Kelleher family in Dunamore last week, it only further heightens that, that fear that they have. And, I mean, I've been working with the NVTA with the last 18 months now, and it's, 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 the, it's the fear they have of these being being thrown on top of them. And, and it like, isn't a case that yeah, somebody can yeah, sell up and yeah. move on because no, who, who uh, wants to buy a house under the shadow of a wind turbine? Patricia, they have effects on planning, they have effects on property value, they have effects on the environment from an ecology point of view, uh, they have effects on community, they have effects across the board and it's that levelling of engagement with the developers in this case who are Brookfield Renewable, Brookfield Renewable Energy and Quilter that haven't been there yeah. We all want green energy, but unfortunately, yeah. no, nobody wants to w- live under the shadow of uh, one of these massive uh, windmills. And, and, and you're right when you, when you said it earlier, it's something I've been banging on about for years. I cannot understand why we're not investing in offshore, why we don't put all of these wind farms, we're surrounded by sea, and just mm-hmm. and put them out there and, and generate the green energy. I, I can, and I can never get an argument uh, put solidly to me as to why they insist on going into areas where they know they're going to upset people, because nobody willingly says, come, I want to have a wind turbine, you know, yeah. close to me. can never uh, understand and, it. And, and under all guidelines, Patricia, yeah. that are completely outdated. That's I mean, it. That's it. And it's very easy to slip 
a project of this magnitude through under, under because the guidelines are old. You're, old, you're right. Yeah. When are we expecting those um, new guidelines to be published? Um, end of when, the year. I would be very hopeful that it would be before the end of the year. Like I said, we've been okay. waiting for six years now for them to come out. Yeah, and yeah. the fact that they have been at public consultation stage recently and we've seen draft proposals and the public consultation stage has now ended, I would be hopeful within the next couple of months. I mean, I would imagine there is a lot of submissions on this and on, on, on the future of and the future guidelines for the planning of windmills. You know, there would be a lot of submissions on it. So it's going to take some time to, to go through them and to come up with a final draft report. But I hope yeah. the department take into concerns for a change the concerns of people. OK. All right, William, we'll speak again in the meantime. Thank you for that. Thank and thanks, and thanks for joining us. That is uh, Councillor William O'Leary. A texter says the green agenda is all fine. But what about bird kill? When it comes to wind turbines, has anybody stopped and thought about the number of birds that get killed from wind turbines every year? 1053. That's right, Patricia. Now, this is a renewed appeal, uh, Patricia. It happened on Friday, the 7th of February at 8.30 p.m. Now, it happened on the location of it. It was on the Dramanway uh, Road uh, between Drina Cross and Drimmy League Village. That's the Dramanway Road uh, between Drina Cross, uh, uh, Cross and Drimmy League Village at 8.30 p.m. Now, what happened, Patricia, was a man was approached by two men who threatened him and stole a sum of money from him. Now, it's not known how the two men left the area, but we are appealing, and this is a renewed appeal uh, for witnesses, or any road users with camera footage who's in the area between 8pm and 9pm to contact Bantry Garda Station or the Garda Confidential Telephone Line on 1-800-666-111 or indeed any Garda Station, Patricia. Okay. A frightening thing to happen. And, Absolutely. Uh, and it's, it, it, would be, it would have happened three weeks ago tomorrow. Three weeks ago tomorrow, tomorrow. correct, Patricia. Okay. That's right. Yeah. And to, between 8 and 9pm and to the Manuel Road between Drina Cross and Drimini Village. And I'm sure people have passed between that 8 and 9pm to be very, very helpful. That uh, dash cam footage would be great. Would be now, fantastic. there was also break-ins, one in Ballinhasig and one in Crookstown. There was, Patricia, at uh, Skeena uh, Ballinhasig uh, the house was entered there between Saturday 15th of February and Tuesday the 18th of February um, it was entered there. And then only yesterday at Corabella, uh, Crookstown, between 9.20am and 12.30 yesterday, there was an attempt made to enter a house there at that, at that location. That's only yesterday afternoon. It goes to show this can happen at any time between 9.20am in the morning and 12.30. An attempt was to, uh, to kick in the door, but it, was, it wasn't successful, etc. But that was there at Corabella, uh, Crookstown. And then I always hate to hear when uh, primary schools are broken into and unfortunately you've got three to report. We have Patricia and if you look at the timing of this, this happened during midterm on the weekend of the Saturday the 15th and Sunday. So the first weekend of midterm. Midterm, that's right Jeff, 15th and 16th of February. Now if you look at the locations of the school, this is a fairly baffling as well, it goes to all criminals travel. We have Dripsy National School. Yeah. Ballahida National School which would be down this direction in Ballahasic yeah. and then you had Desert Surges National School which is Nahiol yeah. uh, all three schools were entered on that weekend and the windows were broken at the side and the offices uh, uh, in, uh, offered uh, offices on all schools entered 
but it, 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 it's the location that, that uh, was no problem either. It was uh, obviously Target as well, uh, Patricia. Do you think they're linked? Do you think they're all done with the same I, guy? I'd imagine, look, look at, uh, I'm looking at it there and I'm, I'm, I'm saying yes. It okay. possibly is because if you look so at the So transport was used. Transport was used. It was the same weekend, the Saturday, the weekend of the Saturday the 15th and Sunday the 16th of February. And if you look at it, your Dripsy, Ballyheda, and and that the old direction. I mean, that's a fair spread of yeah. location. Did, but you, what, what would you what would you be able to rob out of a school? I mean, and they... money, cash, and there was in uh, a couple of cash. Cash. Uh, they're looking for cash. You see, they'd know well that fundraising know, going fundraising on. Yeah. Events, uh, no uniform days. Yeah. Uh, even you know little bits and pieces that parents association gather and, and things like that. Like so, it's, shocking. It's, it's all money. And it's, it's just it's very upsetting on the children when they come back to to realise that yeah. their safe haven of school has been broken into. So if anybody saw anything, fifteenth and sixteenth. That's right, yeah. And indeed for the for the uh, for the teachers as well in the school because yeah. obviously they might have personal stuff in there as well and things like that. You know, so it, it's um, it, it, it's traumatic all around and yeah. it, it doesn't do well in in a community. Yeah. Phone and computer fraud. We can nearly do this every week. It's every continuing. Week. No, I, I have to mention this one because um, it was Sergeant Pat Ryan here in Kinsale who mentioned this to me yesterday. I'm here in Kinsale today. So, uh, yeah, there was a lady during the week and uh, she got a text message on her phone promoting an app from a well-known, reputable company. Uh, the lady did not sign up to this app. But two weeks later, she got a call. And what was amazing was this is there were two people on the line in this, in this occasion to, saying that she had... Uh, uh, to pay for this act and following a discussion they were very very convincing they agreed to cancel the act but to organise a refund they'd have to get her of course naturally details or personal details and all that and on this occasion they got her task view now I'm not very familiar in uh, computers uh, uh, Patricia but the task view seemingly you can enter the, the access of the computer and they got her task view she eventually uh, found out uh, knew that this wasn't uh, this wasn't above board and there was something wrong and uh, she naturally enough cancelled and got out of the system. But it goes to show these people. But in this occasion, they had actually two callers. One had very, very good English, one did not have. And they were most convincing and very, very professional in their approach. And this one, like about an app, and you had to pay for this app, and you yeah, have to have, you need your task view. And the, James, the they're, good, they're good at what they do. They are. Unfortunately. The message here this morning, and once again, is quite clear. Never give out your bank account details. Never give access to your uh, permission to access your computer by any means because they're looking at both phones and computers that are taken all together, like, you know. And if you're concerned, you ring your bank on a number that you know is secure, the number that you normally deal with, and the bank will tell you if there's anything to do with them or not. Okay, there's a community alert meeting you want to give a plug to? There is, Patricia, yes. uh, uh, Sergeant James O'Donovan, the Crime Commission Officer, will be doing a presentation at this. It's at Kilmory Crookstown. It's Kilmory Crookstown Community Alert and is at community, uh, the Kilmory Community Hall on, tur- on the 3rd of March at 9pm. So that's the community alert, uh, Kilmory Crookstown Community Alert. Sergeant James O'Donnell will be doing a uh, presentation there at Kilmory Hall at 9pm on the 3rd. Oh, that's this day week, isn't it? We're, in, we're, we're into the end of February. The end yeah, of February we're already. Along nicely in the, in oh, the year, yeah. Now, uh, a worrying one. You want to talk about youths carrying knives, James? I did. And do you know, Patricia, I'm, as you know, I'm the Garda Juvenile Yeah. And I'm meeting a bit of this. And, you know, it's not confined to West Cork or it's not confined to... It's, it's, it's a nationwide problem, I think. Yeah. And there's an obsession. And I was only talking to a colleague of mine here this morning in Kinsale. And, and he was just telling me about a youth that the guard stopped during the week in a certain place. And he had this knife stuck down his sock. You know what? And this is the type of stuff. Now, I've met a few, and I, I, I'd be aware of this as well, that there's a bit of a culture, not a bit, there's a, too much of a culture out there of young people 
And I'm looking at the ages I'm looking at now, this is from experience in my personal job here, uh, it's not mm. this right. Of 16 to 18 year olds, especially, are a lot, some of them are carrying knives. And they're carrying knives, and we know, and you know, that knives are, are, are as dangerous as guns. Absolutely. There, it's no and you know, and you'd like to think they don't go out with the intention of causing any harm, yeah. but they get into a stupid row over something, and one pulls a knife, and then devastating consequences for everybody involved. Uh, and we've seen too much of that in the last couple of years, especially in Ireland here. Like, you know, if you see, if you have a young person. 16, 17, and they're going with their gangs and they're meeting this fellow and they're meeting that fellow, and you, you know, it isn't all fellas, it can be females as well, by the way. But the long and the short is add, add a knife in your position with alcohol or drugs. You might as well have a load of gun. Yeah, combination. So parents need to because they're they're again these are obviously not they're not going and buying knives because nobody's going to sell a knife to to a young person. They're so not. and we all have sharp knives at home. Let's right. be honest, they're in the drawer yeah. or they're in the knife rack. You need to know where your knives are. You do, and you need to be so careful. And in in a few cases, and I'd be aware of this as well. They do buy knives, but it's rare. Funny enough, the knives is usually brought from the house at times. Like you know, and that's why I'm putting it out there this morning that we. We need to have this discussion about how dangerous knives are. Yeah. And they're taken for granted as an implant that you can take along and you can bring a stroll down the street with and there's going to be no harm and all that. And I think, especially with young people, especially with males, may I say, that this is a, a, a culture that's not alone West Cork or Cork. Or it's all no, over it's Ireland. nationwide. It's, it's nationwide. nationwide. It's nationwide. Yeah. And they feel that, for some unknown reason, some feel, and I'm talking to people that, that may think that, you know, oh, gee, I feel no and all that. That they may feel that you know, but the real the real issue is that carrying knives is a very very dangerous thing, and it does and create an awful lot of injury to a person. Whether and it it, 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 it has can kill, it can it can it, it can, can and it has. Lives, Patricia, and yeah, that's reality. Yeah. So I'm just appealing there to parents as well, especially that age group where I see as well, 16 to 18. Remember, remember the guy now that was stopped there during the week. He is in his sock. Talk to your young people. Talk, talk to your young people. people and all make right. them aware of the dangers. All right, James. Listen, pleasure as always. Thank you for that. We'll talk again. Thanks a million. Thank that you. is uh, Garda James Amani, juvenile liaison officer, joining us from Kinsale Garda Station. Unfortunately, Jane Pickett, our resident vet, has just contacted us. She's got a very sick dog. Needs to be operated on, so she can't make it to studio today. She will be back with us at next week. So we'll catch up with your calls and comments in the next hour. And also, we're going to talk about the fact that next Saturday, 29th of February. It's a rare day that only happens once in four and it's been set aside as Rare Diseases Day for 2020. Win your way to Billy Joel in the Big Apple. VIP style. With AmigoLoans.ie on C103. Before news at 12 midday, I played Billy Joel. I played Uptown Girl and lots and lots and lots of you got texting and WhatsApping. We've randomly selected one and it is Lorraine O'Reardon. No, it's not Lorraine she's gone okay let's see if we can get her back we'll give her one more very quickly um, Bernie if we can get her back on and just see because Lorraine has to join me on air she must answer a question if she gets the question correct she will become today's qualifier and if we can't get her through then we'll just have to go to another caller but let's give her a chance let's hope that maybe the line just dropped out on her 
Have we any luck with getting her back on? Are you there, Lorraine O'Reardon? Are you there, Lorraine? I am. Oh, my goodness. We thought we'd lost you. Lorraine O'Reardon is in in, uh, Kilavallon and would love a weekend, I'm told, in New York, would you? Of course. Fabulous. (laughs) Do you like like Billy Joel? I do love him. Great. So you'd go along to Madison Square Garden on the 2nd of May. Question for you, Lorraine. What is the name of the street in Manhattan's theatre district? Is it A, Broadway or B, West End? In Manhattan, yeah. in the street in Manhattan, yeah, if Broadway you, or West End. Yeah, if you were going to see a show in New York, Broadway. it's Broadway. in it's Broadway. It is, of course, it is... <laughs> Well done. <laughs> yeah, you do. I, I think we all get a bit confused and you're thinking, oh my God, quickly, I need to know the answer. I need to know the answer. Well, you got yeah, it correct yeah. and that's the main thing. Okay, you're, the, you're our qualifier today. You go forward to the final one step closer to return flights three nights in New York with those VIP tickets to Madden Square Gardens to Billy Joel. Do you know who you'd bring with you, Lorraine? I presume I'd have to bring John. So Would you? <laughs> we went to see him in Dublin a couple of years ago. Yeah. To see Billy Lovely. Joel? Yes. Oh, yes, and is John yes. a fan as well? Big, huge fan. Is yes. he? Oh, yes. wow. Is, is John listening to you? Does he know you're on the radio? I doubt it. Oh, what a nice <laughs> surprise for John later on. All right, okay. Lorraine, listen, congratulations. Okay. And thanks Thank for making the much. text. God bless. Take care. Okay, that bye. is Lorraine O'Reardon from uh, Killavollen becoming our qualifier for today. You'll hear another Billy Joel track uh, this afternoon. More with Nick, again with Martina and again with Eric. Texting, WhatsApping 0862103103 for your chance to win that. What is just an incredible weekend away. Billy Joel in the Big Apple with Amigo Loans.ie on Cork's Greatest Hits C103. And of course, we'll do it all over again tomorrow. 1850 103. Bernie taking your calls. Let me take a look at some of your calls that have come in to us. Okay, a couple of people are picking up on the text that we had earlier from Pat, wasn't it Pat? And uh, and Pat's opinion was with everything that's going on with the coronavirus, Pat's view, he feels that and, 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 and he felt that for a time he couldn't even as he said call a spade a spade that he couldn't even express his opinion because because people get upset by it but he feels that it's God's um, not, I don't know if revenge is too strong a word is it a revengeful God uh, that uh, Pat prays to but, but it's God basically saying to the world when you look at the coronavirus and other things that are happening in this world but it's God's ba- basically saying that people need to take a look at the way that they're living and to stop sinning and return to God and, and he feels that that's what's going on and that's the reason that we have the uh, coronavirus well Dennis uh, Dennis says Patricia Dennis here would you mind telling Pat where to go look at look at me I've expressed my opinion just like he did no one's stopping you from having your own opinion I don't agree with you but feel free to express it yeah because I just it, uh, that upset me that he felt he couldn't express it but then Pat is back again to say because when I defended not defended it but I, my view on it was that the coronavirus more people are killed by the flu virus than the coronavirus so does Pat think that the flu virus every year comes from God Pat says the new virus is a deadly dangerous killer disease and not to be mixed up with the flu the flu kills at least 80,000 people a year whereas this virus is capable of wiping, wiping out entire countries big difference uh, I would think and like yourself it's my opinion absolutely Pat and 
again, I don't know where you're getting your research from. I don't know whether it's capable of wiping out entire countries because again, like while it's, it is certainly more severe than the flu, they're saying that most most healthy people, if you picked up coronavirus, well, you would be very unwell, but you would be expected to survive. The people that have been killed because of the coronavirus have a tendency, not everyone, because you can get a very severe case, but it's the same with the flu, but it's a tendency to for people with whose immune system is compromised, people who are battling cancer, uh, they're very young, they're very old. So I don't know if I've read anything about the coronavirus being capable of wiping out entire countries, but... Pat, you obviously have read something somewhere uh, and that, again, as you say, is your opinion. That's something that I certainly will uh, take a look at and if I find out anything, I'll bring it to you. But thank you and I'm glad that you are. You feel free, you're feel free, certainly on this programme, that you can express your opinions. And others are agreeing with you. Sean in North Cork said the text about from Pat about you know, basically saying God is angry with the world. Well, says Pat, Notre Dame has predicted all of these diseases and he also predicted bad weather. And let's not forget St. Colin Kill. According to Sean, St. Colin Kill predicted that Ireland would one day be covered in water. And certainly, says Sean, is looking like it at the moment with all of the flooding. And I was watching, thank you, Sean, the Sean Northcote, I was watching on the news yesterday. Wouldn't your heart just go out to those householders up the country and what they're putting up with with the flooding and I know there will be a lot of people listening to this programme here in Cork who've experienced flooding in the past I mean talk to people in Mallow talk to people in Formoy talk to people in West Cork towns like Clonakilty um, Bandon were all absolutely devastating floods and there is nothing to compare with it. I mean, it's only people whose homes and businesses have been flooding will know what I'm talking about. You know, for the rest of us, we can just have sympathy with people. But to go into a house that has been underwater and then trying to put everything back together again, and it's just, it's devastating. My heart always goes out uh, to people. And throughout my life, I haven't lived in many places, but everywhere I seem to have lived seems to have flooded. I mean, I was born... Uh, and uh, raised in Clonmel, a town that always seemed uh, to flood. And thankfully they've got flood barriers and uh, they don't have certainly anything like the flooding that was there when I was growing up. Then I moved to Clonakilty, there was flooding there. And then I moved to Mallow and there was flooding there. So it's somebody once said to me, you're jinxed. I'll, I'll make sure that I, I never live anywhere near you. And I've, I've been lucky in that all those three towns that were always flooded... I always lived in an area that didn't flood. You know, there, there would be areas of the town where you're higher up and, and you thankfully don't flood. But for people that live in those areas where, where flooding, my heart certainly always goes out uh, to you. But according to Sean, that's in Column Kill. That's a prediction that's coming coming true. And the whole of Ireland is going to be underwater. OK, on Holly Kearns and the caller or texter that got on to us earlier and feels that Holly should be on the airwaves here on C103 and that she should be publicly apologising to everyone particularly those that voted for her. This was a lady who did vote for a woman and a Catholic and who took great offence uh, to the comments that Holly made. Now she's, Holly defended it saying that I was younger at the time and she takes them back and she's taken down the tweets but to this listener that's not enough because she felt Holly made those comments not when she was a 16 year old but she was 23 and she should be accountable for her her feelings towards Catholics, particularly towards people that voted for her. And of course, she's now elected representative for West Cork area. And as I say, if Holly wants to join us on the airways, she she is more than willing to do it. Well, somebody else picking up on that has said that William and Glamire thinks that Holly Carnes wasn't too far off the mark. 
with her comments. The Vatican and priests and bishops covered up so much sex abuse in this country. But maybe, says William in Glanmire, that she could have worded it slightly better. 1850-333-103 and then a couple of good news stories. Claire and Skibreen was on to say he used Damien Long's new bus service on Tuesday of this week. Claire needed to go to CUH for treatment. She said she was delighted with the new bus. Well I'm thrilled to hear that Claire. and we had Damien on the programme yesterday. This is the West Cork Connect, the new bus. First time in 83 years that a private bus service is operating out of West Cork and so far so good in that it's busy because it's certainly is one of those services. It's a bit like the post office. Whenever I talk about rural post offices, there's no point when the post office closes or is under threat of closing that we all bemoan the fact that it's closing down. We need to use all of those services and certainly Damien's bus is going to be the very same. People are going to need to to use it because if the bus isn't used and they can't make, you know, a living out of that bus service, then, you know, the bus will be gone. But certainly there seems to be fantastic excitement in West Cork for this bus and the timetable is just it's incredible some early in the morning so that people can get up to the city if you need to get up for work if you need to get up for college or in Claire's case if you need to get to for a hospital appointment because one of the stops is right outside CUH and then you'll come out of the hospital hopefully you'll be done and dusted in plenty of time you get out quick you might be able to get yourself a cup of coffee somewhere and then you can get back on the bus and uh, go home and thank you Claire for taking the time to call us and, and to let us know I know if Damien's listening he'll be thrilled he'll be thrilled uh, to hear that you contacted us today. And we also had Mary in Aherla onto us. She had to go to South Dock on the Kinsale Road roundabout about two weeks ago. Would that be your nearest South Dock? Maybe it was the nearest South Dock that was available on the night. Anyway, uh, Mary just w- wants to take time out just to compliment. And I don't know the name of the doctor that was on duty on the night that Mary was there because there would be a different doctor, wouldn't there, every night? Anyway, he said, she said, she described the doctor as an absolute gentleman. And she said, she said the staff were more than helpful. She was delighted with the service. And that's, that's great. And of course, the South Stock, it's the out of hours service and you're usually in a bit of a panic and, you know, you know, nobody willingly rings South Stock unless, you know, you're feeling very unwell and this, you know, because, you know, if you're feeling unwell, I sure I'll wait and I'll get to the doctor tomorrow. But to call an out of our service, you know, it means somebody's feeling very unwell. So it's good to know that you were so well treated. Thank you for that. And again, we love to pass on those good news stories like that. And when people want to call out something that's good, because we're all very good to complain and that's only right and proper. We should be able to complain uh, as well. But it's n- always nice to be nice. And it's nice when something good has happened it's nice to call that out as well, isn't it? You know, and uh, I keep quoting the saying that's kind of stuck in my head now since the death of uh, uh, gorgeous Caroline Flack. You know, in, in a world where you can be anything, be kind. And if you can pass that kindness on, uh, please do. Hi, Patricia. It was great to hear Councillor William O'Leary talking to you. It was William who joined us in the last hour talking about what happened in the council with the bulk of councillors seeming to be very much against this proposal to put wind turbines in the Bottle Hill plant, at least into the new guidelines. You know, let the new guidelines come out. And then if you want to do any planning around wind turbines, at least you're working from the new guidelines, not old guidelines that are very much out of date with the technology with wind turbines which have changed so much since the original guidelines came out and the size of the new wind turbines they are they are ginormous they really are ginormous and they weren't as big 
when the original guidelines came out. And there's also, I think, since been work and research done. And, you know, you've got these court cases of families having to go to court because their children are unwell from living too close to a wind turbine. All of that has to be taken on board when we're looking at any kind of guidelines for future development of wind turbines. So I think it's crazy that any planning would be given to any project until we have all of those guidelines published and in place. Uh, anyway, that's what William was talking to us about uh, today. This texter said, we at Barna Wind Action Group, we won our battle against those turbine gurus, is what this listener has described them as, who were trying to, we feel, bully the ordinary people who have lived in this area for many, many years. Board Panola would want to wake up to these developers as there's enough sickness, and enough cancers and enough mental health issues in the world without adding to it by putting any of these masts in uh, an area. And that's uh, a text to 86 103103. Bernie continues to take your calls. You can text her WhatsApp 0862 103 103. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council. Supporting businesses, supporting communities, serving Cork. Visit corkcoco.ie. Jake Carter is back in Kinsale this weekend. This is for the musical The White Lady of Kinsale. It'll be on at 8 o'clock each night in Kinsale Community School. It opens tonight and runs on Friday and Saturday. Gagan Dramatic Society are presenting Sean Cree's play Widow's Paradise. That's in Goggin Hall tomorrow night, Friday, half eight start. Proceeds are in aid of the Gagan Car Park Fund. A charity pub quiz in aid of the Hope Foundation will be held in the Mousetrap in Mallow on Friday night with a nine o'clock start. It's ten euro per person. There'll be finger food and prizes on the night. Proceeds go to support Kira Hughes, who's travelling to India in March with the Hope Foundation. Cork Cancer Care Centre are holding a fundraising craft and bake sale. It's for their Blankets of Hope. It's on Saturday from 12 noon to 3 at the Cork Cancer Care Centre. Everybody's welcome to come along. Now, there'll be knitters on the day to explain how to get involved in making these blankets. If you'd like to help with baking, love to hear from you. 021-494-9090. And there'll be a fundraising dance in aid of the Louise Kennedy Fund. That's at the Harbourview Hotel in Skull on Saturday. Music is by Charlie Cocklin, Kieran Malloy and Derry Kennedy. And Martin Carney doors will open at nine and admission is 10 euro. And the best of luck to everybody involved, everybody in the Kildallery community, because they are getting together and hosting a massive fundraising day for their local man, Ger Spillan, who we spoke about on the programme only last week. Ger was recently diagnosed with motor neuron and there's a big fundraising campaign on to the house that he wants to move into to make it wheelchair accessible and to secure the future for him and his little family. And the fundraising day organised by the Kildallery community is happening on this coming Saturday. Now it starts off with a coffee morning from 10am to 2pm. That'll be in the parish hall. That then gets followed by a GAA football challenge match which will see Kildallery take on Mitchellstown. That'll be at 7pm in the Kildallery pitch. And then Rachel Lynch and friends They'll play in Sheehan's Bar from 8 o'clock until 10 o'clock on Saturday. Then there's a trad session and a barbecue that'll go on in Walsh's Bar at half past nine. And then there'll be karaoke with Podge and Raj in Ollie's Bar. And that starts from half past nine. So, so many different activities. A great big fundraising day. Best of luck to everyone in Kildallery and continued good luck to Jersey Palan and his family. 1850. 
333103. Lines open. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Cork Today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 1850-333-103. Now this coming Saturday is February the 29th. It in itself is a rare day that it only happens every four years. So I think it's very appropriate that the day has been set aside as Rare Disease Day. Joining me with the Health Research Charities and Rare Disease Task Force is their CEO, uh, Avril Keenan. Good afternoon to you, Avril. Good, good afternoon. Uh, and you're welcome to the programme. I suppose the, the first question to ask is, maybe it's a silly one, but how rare are rare diseases? No, it's not a silly one at all. Actually, it's a really important question because so to have a rare disease means that you are one in 2,000 people or fewer than that. Um, but the thing about rare diseases is that there's so many of them. There's between six and 8,000 that we know of that... In the, uh, taken all together, it's not rare to have a rare disease. Between six and 8,000? Yeah. That's, yeah, incre- that's, that's an incredible incredible figure. Getting a diagnosis, would, would I be right in saying it's one of the biggest problems for a patient because these diseases are rare? Yeah, you're absolutely right. So um, they're all very different in nature, but they have things in common. And one of those things is that it's it can be very, very slow to get a diagnosis. So the average time it takes to get a diagnosis is seven years. And you can imagine that that's a very, very difficult time if you're dealing with complicated symptoms and not understanding why, not understanding where they're coming from and not knowing how best to manage them. And that's really, really difficult for people living with rare diseases. And getting a delayed diagnosis, uh, Avril, I'm assuming, therefore, leads to delayed treatment. Does that bring with it its own problems? Yeah, exactly. So when you don't know what you have, it's very hard to know how to treat it. So you're just treating symptoms then. And sometimes you're um, inappropriately treated as well. So you may be diagnosed with something you don't have and possibly even given medication or treatment plans for something you don't even have. So that can be a problem. Um, and then just that delay in getting the appropriate treatment. Um, the other problem is, of course, that because they're rare, there's not enough research done of these conditions. And so in most cases, there's nothing even close to a cure. Uh. Um, so that's the other problem. But but nonetheless, there are appropriate ways to treat things once you know what they are. Yeah, and you know, you're thinking, you know, a, a delayed diagnosis. We know how important, and, and we speak about it all the time, uh, for children for early intervention. Exactly. And you just completely yeah. miss out on that when, when, when you don't know what's wrong with your child. And, and for parents, it must be just such a difficult time, that period, in between, you know, waiting to see. I, I, I take it at times, sometimes the diagnosis must come almost as a relief. Yeah, it it actually can do. So, I mean, if you get a very early diagnosis, that's good in some ways, but but can be very shocking and and very very difficult for a family to adjust to that. Um, but if you if you know something is wrong and you are dealing with symptoms in your child um, and not getting the answers you need, then actually you're right. Sometimes it can be a relief to get a diagnosis. And when you get that, when a family gets that diagnosis of a rare disease and to be, you know, obviously given probably a name of a condition or a disease that they've never heard of, can they then feel very isolated trying to find support for the condition? Yeah, yeah, that's that's, that's often the next problem then. But again, because they're rare individually, um, there is 
often not the expertise in the country, or if it's there, it can be hard to find. Um, so people can get sort of passed around between consultants and between healthcare professionals in trying to figure it out and trying to, to understand what the best way to, to treat it is. Um, and so that, that can be very isolating and also very socially isolating because so many of rare, so many of the rare diseases have very unfortunate names, um, like, for example, epidermolysis bullosa, which is a very rare skin condition. Is that, the, butterf- is that the butterfly one? That's the butterfly yeah. one, exactly, exactly. But, but even a it's a mouthful, say it again, say it again what it's called. <laughs> epidermolysis bullosa. Um, and could you imagine sitting in an office and a, and a doctor or consultant saying this is what your child has? It's just mind-boggling. Exactly, exactly. And people find, you know, we abbreviate these terms and we find ways to deal with it over time. But but it is socially isolating as well. When nobody's heard of the thing you've had, you have, and particularly if, you're, if your child, for example, has something visible, um, it's that constant needing to explain what the problem is. Um, so, yeah, isolating in a medical sense, and it's, it's often a big journey just to, to identify appropriate medical care. Um, and if you're lucky, there's a specialist in the country who you will eventually end up with, um, but that's not always the case. And then that social piece as well, of just constantly having to explain. Tell me about this easy guide to rare diseases that you're launching as part of this uh, Rare Disease Day on Saturday. Yeah, so this is just, it's part of the awareness building and it's it's a beautifully produced guide. Um, We've come, so my organisation is Health Research Authority of Ireland. We've come together with with Rare Diseases Ireland and with a group called IPOSI to produce this guide. And in fact, our member organisation, Cystic Fibrosis Ireland, that's one of the rare diseases most people do know about. Mm. Um, They have given a lot of time and energy into, into developing this guide with us. And it's really... The, the most important aspect of the guide is that there are 15 patient stories in there. Um, so that, I think, makes it really real. And you can see that the common threads going through those stories about the things we talked about, lack of diagnosis and lack of knowledge and so on. Um, and it really just sets that in the context then of the wider environment in Ireland, the policy environment, what's happening in research. And there is a national plan for rare diseases. Uh, so, so talking about that plan and talking about what we as patient advocates as rare disease organisations are calling for to get better in the future. I mean, is there anything that can be done to improve an early diagnosis of a rare disease? Yeah, there are many things and, and it is getting better. I mean, one of the first things we're really pushing for in that sense is to have better clinical genetic services and to do more genomics in Ireland. That's the study of DNA um, in Ireland, so that. So, what, as, as that, when you say better, better genetics, are you talking about testing for testing people to see if they're carriers? Exactly, or testing, or tra- sometimes, sometimes the answer is in your genes. In fact, many times. So, between about seventy to eighty percent of rare diseases are genetic in Ireland. Oh, so that's high. Is, yeah, it is high, and so that's often the place to start. Um, but that doesn't happen routinely. And the, the, the services that we have here, the cl- clinical genetic services, are very under-resourced at the moment. So that's a big push, that we need to put people in place with the skills to to, to reduce waiting. There's a there's very long waiting list for people who are waiting for genetic testing. 
And even once you get your genetic testing, there's very limited numbers of genetic counsellors who can who are trained to talk you through it and explain and, and to tell you what it might mean for the future of the child or, or an adult or to talk about family planning, those kind of things. Um, so so that's, that's often a very useful starting point. Now, not everybody gets an answer from genetics either. Um, and sometimes we, we base diagnosis on symptoms and sometimes if you've got the right expert who knows what they're looking for, that can be enough. So we're also trying to build clinical expertise in Ireland. And there's a lot happening in Europe, actually, um, in terms of creating these broad centres for rare diseases across all of Europe. And it's actually the first time that healthcare has been approached from a European perspective. So something called... European reference networks are being developed and there's 24 of them and they're in sort of broad areas. So there's a European reference network for skin, for eye conditions and heart conditions and so on. And those will hopefully help us to get answers for Irish patients sooner so that people can actually be referred to those European centres where they're, where they're bringing together the expertise from all across Europe to give answers sooner. Brilliant. That's brilliant. And what, screening of babies at birth, are we, are we good at that? Is there more we could be doing there? There's a lot more we could be doing as well there. Um, so we do have a newborn screening program, which is great. Um, and currently eight different conditions are tested for through that. But there are strong arguments that we need to be testing more conditions. Um, because, again, if you pick it up early, you can intervene earlier. Um, and it's not the case for all rare, rare conditions. It doesn't make sense in every condition. But we are lower than average in Europe. And there is, has been a, a committee set up by the government to look at that, to look at screening as a whole. And one of the first things that they're going to do, as committed to by Simon Harris the other day, is to, to look at newborn screening and to hopefully expand that screening pro- programme somewhat. Because I know in, in other countries, they don't they do more? I know the states, for example, are particularly good at screening at birth. They screen for more uh, diseases and conditions than we do. Yeah, I don't know about the states, actually, but I know that Italy, for example, screens for about 40 conditions. Well, and we do um, eight. And it's very different all across Europe. Wow. So we need the Irish system to really take a good look at what makes sense for this population and um, and to are there other conditions out there that we need to be and can be picking up earlier. Okay, and to, uh, to give these children and these families uh, as best a, a chance as they can. Exactly. Okay, and is there, are there any plans for Rare Disease Day? Do you, do you have this day every year or... or? Is it, is yes, new... so it, it is every year. Usually is it? it's the 28th of February. Oh, okay. This is a special year yeah, yeah. because we have a leap day. Yeah. Um, so um, there are various things happening. Um, as you mentioned, we launched this rare disease guide the other day. And if anybody wants to see that, they will find it on the Rare Disease Ireland website, or di.ie. Um, there is an event on in the... in. Uh, our Sanukter on uh, on Saturday, um, President Michael Higgins has kindly invited families living with rare diseases to attend that. Unfortunately, that's invitation only, and I and I believe it's now full. Oh, well, that's um, not, it's nice that like, families are being recognised on the day. Yeah, it's yeah. really lovely. Yeah. It's so important um, because it isn't just individuals who are affected by these conditions. It is the whole family Absolutely. and beyond. Absolutely. Um, that's really important. Okay. Um, and yeah, maybe people will get on social media as well using the, the hashtag Rare Disease Day and share their stories and let people know they're not alone and so on. Okay, listen, best of luck with it, um, Avril. Thanks a million for taking time out to talk to us today. 
Thanks so much. Take care. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye. That is uh, Avril Keenan, who is CEO of the Rare Disease Task Force in, ahead of Rare Disease Day. And what is a rare day? Well, it only happens just one in four on February the 29th, this Saturday. 1850-333-103. Lines open. Record today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 086-2103-103. Let me catch up on some of your comments uh, still coming into the programme. Mossy in West Cork says, Hi Trish, uh, first it was climate change, then it was Brexit and bad weather and now it's COVID-19. We're getting a pounding from the gods or some higher power for sure. Thanking you, that is Mossy. And William in Formoy, this is on the Holly Kearns tweet and the listener, the woman who voted for her as a Catholic took offence to the comments and feels that she's the Holly should be on air uh, publicly apologising to people, particularly people who voted for her. William says, Holly Kearns made those tweets a good few years ago. She's acknowledged that she could have worded them better and she's also come out and said sorry for offence caused. I don't know what else that woman can expect. If she's such a good Catholic, she should be more forgiving and simply move on. Pounding over tweets from the past doesn't do much good for the country. And by the way, I'm not a supporter of Social Democrats. That's from William in Formoy, but is more forgiving and sees it as, and you know, if Holly Kearns is not the first who's been taken to task over tweets that they've sent for many years ago, particularly when you run for a public office. And it's one of the things, isn't it? When you do send out a tweet, you never know when in years to come. Does your view on something change? But also for young people who are taken to social media you never know when social media is going to come back uh, come back at you for sure that just could have make people stop and think before they put anything up on social media I don't know and Jimmy in Ballyporeen was on to us to say that he was in the square in Mitchellstown today and he was talking to one of the stall holders there's obviously a market going on in Mitchellstown and the stall holder showed him a video that now I'm assuming went up somewhere on social media but the video is believed to have been sneaked out of China because obviously China have very strict rules and regulations about what people can can and can't put on social media Uh, and now according to Jimmy the video he said and I don't know if it's 100% legit or was it staged in some way he reckoned the video showed people being shot on the streets and bodies gathered, gathered gathered up with the JCB. He says it's a lot worse in China than they are letting on. And there is certainly conspiracy theorists doing the rounds saying, can you believe everything that has been told about the coronavirus being under control in China or not? Uh, Jimmy said anyway, that particular video, he said was very convincing. And no doubt if it's a video on social media, it will get shared a lot. You can be guaranteed people will be seeing that and sharing that all over the place uh, tonight if it is on social media. As I say, I don't know. I haven't seen it. And it was just uh, Jimmy was shown it by somebody in Mitchellstown uh, today. I want to give a mention to some a couple of events that are happening tonight. One is a meeting that is going on. I know it was covered earlier on the news with Barry and I don't know if we'll be getting a mention again this afternoon or not, but there is a public meeting going on in the West Cork Hotel in Skibbereen tonight and a follow-on meeting in the Maritime Hotel in Bantry tomorrow night. And this is all to do with the group that's been set up, Save Bantry Hospital. Now, we would have spoken with this group certainly in the run-up to the election. There was a lot of talk about Bantry Hospital and what we needed to do to secure the future of Bantry Hospital. And the group 
group are holding these public meetings just to let everybody know what's going on. The worrying concerns about Bantry Hospital certainly don't seem to be gone away. And I know the HSC come out and say no plans to downgrade. I know Simon Harris, the Minister for Health, came out saying no plans to downgrade. But because they can't get a definitive and actually written in black and white that there are no plans to change anything at Bantry Hospital 24-7 and that an anaesthetist will be available 24-7 and they can't get that in writing. So, of course, people are concerned and worried while on paper it looks like everything's going to remain the same but in reality is it sort of closure by stealth I think is, is people are concerned about so certainly people in the West Cork area are not letting this one go and organisers of this group Save Bantry Hospital are not letting it go so they've decided to have because there was a big big meeting held a number of weeks ago so this is kind of follow on meetings just to let people know what's going on and one of the things that they're suggesting is they're asking people if you're going to either the meeting tonight or the meeting tomorrow night to bring along your written stories if you have a story to share about Bantry Hospital and I know certainly on this programme when we we had people contact us and the amount of people that had a story to share about you know Bantry Hospital saved their lives or Bantry Hospital saved a family member's lives and just everyone speaks with such high regard about Bantry Hospital and listen I could flip it and do the same type of interviews about Mallow Hospital and people say the same thing as well so uh, but it's Bantry is the one that's under fear at the moment of being downgraded so if you have a story to share or a family story to to share Put it in writing, please, because obviously they're going to try and put a portfolio of stories uh, together. You can also email if you're not able to go to any of the meetings and you'd like to share your story with the or- organisers. You can also email, save, send an email with your story to savebantryhospital at gmail.com. Now, as I say, tonight's meeting is in the West Cork Hotel in Skibbereen. Tomorrow night's is in the Maritime Hotel in Bantry. Both meetings start at half past seven. We're going to speak with one of the organisers on the programme tomorrow. So it'll give us a good feeling of how tonight's meeting go, goes in advance of tomorrow night's. But I just want to mention that that is happening tonight. And something else that's also happening tonight that we spoke about on the programme earlier this week with Marguerite Kelleher. And this is the West Cork Community Cancer Awareness Evening that's going ahead in the Munster Arms Hotel in Bandon tonight. And it starts at eight o'clock and there's a great lineup of speakers. Shannon Joyce from the Instagram page, The Big C and Me. Mandy Gabriel, who also has an Instagram page, My Wonky Boob. And we've spoken with Mandy before on the programme. And there also will be a doctor, Dr. Rowley, who will deal with men's cancer. There's a free raffle tonight. There's light refreshments and it's free to everyone. And they're throwing it out to people from Bandon and the surrounding areas because the group is the Bandon's, um, Bandon Surrounding Areas Cancer Support Group. But anyone from anywhere in West Cork is welcome to come along. And it basically is a cancer awareness evening. And it's all about knowing your body, knowing the signs, knowing the symptoms, knowing what to do because early diagnosis, God knows, we know. We've done, I've done enough interviews on it to know that early diagnosis is the key to good recovery. So that's on tonight. Monster Arms Hotel. You're very welcome to go along at eight o'clock. That's where I leave you for today. My thanks to Bernie Murphy who produced. Nick Richards is with you for the afternoon and we're back with you for the final one of the week tomorrow at 10.